Doherty Eady, was born in Blackheath, London in 1904, but her life took a remarkable turn when she claimed to have memories from a previous existence as an ancient Egyptian priestess. Her journey into the depths of history began at a young age, but it was after a fateful fall when she was just three years old that everything changed. Following the accident, Dorothy exhibited peculiar behaviors and experienced vivid dreams and visions of ancient Egypt. It was as if a door had opened, connecting her with a distant past. As she grew older, her fascination with ancient Egypt intensified, and she developed an uncanny knowledge of history, culture, and hieroglyphics. Corresponding with Egyptologists and working as a secretary for the Egypt Exploration Society in London, Dorothy immersed herself in the world she believed she once belonged to. She renamed herself Om Seti, embracing her alleged past connection to the Temple of Seti in Abedos. In 1947, Om Seti made the life-altering decision to move to Egypt, settling near the temple complex that she believed was her spiritual home. Her deep passion for ancient Egypt allowed her to study the sites firsthand and solidify her knowledge. Although Om Seti's claims of reincarnation and past life memories cannot be scientifically proven, her extensive understanding of ancient Egypt fascinated researchers and Egyptologists alike. She became a subject of studies, interviews, and even authored a book, Om Seti's Egypt, A Story of Ancient Mysteries, Secret Lives, and the Lost History of the Pharaohs. However, skepticism remains regarding Om Seti's experiences. Critics argue that her memories may have been products of her vivid imagination or influenced by culture and historical influences, even though some of the events and claims that she made cannot be explained. Nonetheless, her story continues to captivate the imagination of those intrigued by the mystery of the human mind and the allure of ancient civilizations. Om Seti's tale raises profound questions about the nature of consciousness, the possibility of past lives, and the way in which history can resonate within us. Whether one believes her claims or not, her journey remains a testament to the enduring fascination and the enigma of ancient Egypt. Now, Joey and I will dive deeper into the mysterious case of Dorothy Eady. We will combat the critics who rebuked her claims. We talk about past lives and dumbfounding stories. This episode of the Say What Again Billy podcast begins now. Joey, what's up, brother? Billy, what's up, pal? Little technical difficulties on my end. Sorry about that. It's all good. This is a uh, phone conversation again. Joey had a busy day today, and we're actually recording on Sunday. Because of the holiday weekend, we have some events going on tomorrow. So we're doing this episode via phone call, which is okay because last week came out pretty good as well with the audio quality. Yeah, it was decent. And again, if it bothers you to your listeners, I apologize. We're going to get more consistent. This is just a rough, rough weekend. Side note, not complaining, powering through. I love this topic, so I wanted to come on. You know, I'm a little under the weather, so again, apologies, folks. But you know, we're gonna we're gonna give you a, a good, interesting conversation right now. Uh, yeah, I, I um I could hear it, and Joey called me before we uh we had plans to actually meet up at the studio, and uh, Joey was like, I think I got COVID, and I was like, oh, oh, and you're you're about to go on vacation, so this is a. <laughs> This is a yeah, perfect. I got one more week. I'm literally counting down the days, dude. I got six more working days and like 12 days until I or 14 days until I go away. So, yeah, I, I don't want to get sick. Although I got something going on with my throat today. I don't know if it's the air quality index from the smoke from Canada. They, they put it in the air, pal. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm seeing a whole bunch of things, but I'm not going to touch that subject today because we have something <laughs> that goes into a subject that you like again, and that's a. Some borderline Egyptology. I'm not even going to say borderline. I'm going to say it goes into the Egyptology. And it actually has a paranormal-esque feel to the episode as well. Right. As you guys heard on the monologue, we're talking about a really infamous reincarnation story. And that is of Dorothy Eady, who actually gained her, I guess, her her memory of this reincarnation through a traumatic event 
that took place in her house when she was a very young age. Right. She, she fell down the stairs, I believe. Right. So she was in, she lived in London and basically in a, in a nutshell, because you guys heard the monologue where I tuned up my voice in a very deep monologue type of conversational voice. You got to um, <laughs> grab the attention, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, my, I actually, uh, I aired the monologue, uh, you know, I did, I filmed it yesterday and uh, I played it. I played it for my wife, you know, just like, Hey babe, how's how'd it come? She like, she literally has like on a scale from one to a hundred, the interest level in this paranormal podcast is like a five. So <laughs> I'm like, babe, just tell me how this, how this came out. And she's like, that doesn't even sound like you. I'm like, yeah, I used artificial <laughs> intelligence to change my voice. She's like, no, you didn't just talk like that the whole episode. I'm like, no, nah, I can't can't do it you know it's uh, it's not me but at least for the monologue but anyways yeah she lived in london and um long story short because you guys already heard the monologue like i said um she ended up falling down a flight of stairs now in the old era of the way things used to be there used to be doctors that came to people's houses to actually do checkups on them if they were sick so that they wouldn't come out of the house and the family ended up calling a doctor to tend to their daughter dorothy Edie. And um, she was actually unconscious where the doctor actually thought she was dead. Um, but they, the doctor ended up like, feeling for a pulse the whole night and said that she has a bad, you know, she might be in a coma. She ended up waking up not too long after the doctor was there. And automatically the events of this reincarnation happened. She woke up and told her parents, I'm not home. Where am I? And her parents were visibly confused and said, you are home, sweetie. You're in your bedroom. She's like, no, this is not home. You know, where, where's the trees? Where's the sand? You know, where, where's, uh, where's my, my lover things to that nation, that nature where her parents were, were, you know, like, Oh, she just, right. they were concerned. She, like what's going on? She bumped yeah. her head and now she's, yeah, they were concerned, but they knew that she just hit her head. So they let it go. And she had at a young age, right after the accident, a interest in, Egyptology, which her parents were like, you know, didn't teach her. I don't think she was really learning it in school. And it really kicked off when her parents took her to a museum in London that had Egyptian antiquities. They had all these things there. And when she walked into the Egyptology exhibit at this museum is when everything started to come together. The door opened fully to her past life. And she said to her mom and dad, I'm home. Look, this is this. And she started describing each and every single thing in that museum to the T without any knowledge of it prior. She never researched. Her parents never researched any of this stuff. She knew more things about the Egyptians at that exhibit then Mike knows about the Romans and that's right. bullshit. I know too much about it. <laughs> so Mike, Mike was a Roman. Yeah. My, in, in Mike's past life, he I'm going to knock, I'm going to knock Mike on the head and see what happens. Maybe, maybe we get a story, you know? <laughs> yeah. He, he might, he, he's going to wake up and be, I was a Japanese samurai <laughs> in 1804. Mike, we love you, bro. <laughs> I used the katana sword that some Roman gave me. Follow Mike on TikTok, by the way. Isn't the it? Angry History Geek, and it was it's Stugat seven seven, I believe, if I remember offhand. Yeah. But so, long story short, she and then she became this. She knew stuff that no one taught her. Her mom would catch her at night, um, reading books and writing in hieroglyphics, which is like for you to read and write hieroglyphics, it takes years of studying. Right. And she was just doing it naturally. Her mom would wake up. And now, she, correct me if I'm wrong. So your listeners have the full story. She she did indeed at one point study Egyptology, right? I did read that somewhere. I don't know if it's actually she, So what ended up happening is um, she ended up becoming more fascinated as she got older with her. She, you know, woke up from this this being pronounced dead pretty much and had knowledge that no one taught her. When she got older, she was starting to become like have jobs as a secretary for Egyptology, the um, the Association of Egyptology um, that was founded in like 1870, 1880, I believe it was. Um, 
she became a secretary. She had knowledge then and she started studying it, but she had this knowledge that she knew before going in depth and studying more. And she ended up actually marrying um, an Egyptian man that and going and moving to Egypt. And um, I'm trying to find the, uh, the man's name right now because it's pretty hard to pronounce. I have it wrote, written down. Um, Abdel Magwitz. She married a man from Egypt named Abdel Mag- Magwid. I'm going to butcher the name. Nick's not here to help me pronounce it. It's a very <laughs> Egyptian name. They, she moved to Egypt, married this man. Can we have Nick as a phone friend? <laughs> <laughs> if I told him, we, we could definitely uh, include him <laughs> in. But uh, she moved and married somebody that was Egyptian. And she, the marriage wasn't really good. It was all nice and great in the beginning. But her love and this sudden interest in Egyptology strained their marriage. Mm. Uh, she would just focus on writing uh, hieroglyphics and going to sites in Egypt to revisit her, you know, past life. She would go to um, the Abedos where this temple of uh, Seti was, where she changed her name to Om Seti. She wasn't known as Darti Edi no more. She actually changed her name to Om Seti, which was like this, this, this temple there in Egypt. Right. She, Um, She went all out. She went for it. She went all out. And, she basically got divorced and spent her life after marrying this man in Egypt and just becoming like a full on, not even like an uh, Egyptologist, like with, with like degrees and having the piece of paper that said, I'm a, I'm, I'm an archeologist. I'm an Egyptologist. She just flat out had this knowledge. So her going down the stairs at that, at that young age, literally opened up something in her mind, which is not all too uh, a rare occurrence. There's many, many stories of odd things happening after being in some kind of of dramatic injury. One of them and we uh, is uh, hitting your head and having foreign accent syndrome. I believe it's called the medical terminology. I've seen that. It's strange. Where people will hit their head and end up having an, an, a British accent, even though they don't necessarily live in London. I yeah, feel like they gave a, an, official, uh, a, an official explanation for that. I just can't, off the top of my head, I can't like remember. But I think they actually figured it out. Why? If, it, it, even if they figured it out, and I won't go into a quick Google search, but it's still very strange how you can have an accent. I think it's something where you've heard it before and your memory embeds it obviously. Right, right. Like what it does with dreams and things like that. And a certain traumatic event triggers that side of the brain to program you that you do in fact speak with that type of accent. Right. So it's it's something that happens. So that's something that's kind of explained but odd. it's very odd. You know what I mean? Like if I were to hit my head and then all of a sudden next week's episode I have a British accent and I'm talking like this, and you know, it's it's it, out of nowhere. It's like people are gonna be like, "Yo, dude, what are you doing?" You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I can continue the podcast. I'll be honest. <laughs> oh, but why not? You don't like peas and crumpets and butter and your waffles. <laughs> but anyways, things like that happen. There's other things too that um, there's been traumatic events with younger adults, kids, you know, um, and even older people, and they end up knowing a musical instrument that they've never touched in their life. There's been stories of people getting into an accident and learning, uh, not learning, but just going onto a piano and full out playing Mozart, which is like impossible. Right. Now, I don't know how science can explain that. Like you're not knowing how to play a musical instrument and then next and then all of a sudden, yeah. Yeah. So with, uh, with Om Seti, better known as, well, Dorothy Edie, better known as Om Seti now, she had this, this accident and just full on started to know things that no one else knew, no one else taught her. Now, the weirdest thing that happened to her that scientists, archaeologists, Egyptologists can't necessarily explain because they doubted her. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, this woman's crack shit. Right. She, she studied. She actually found an entire garden temple that, I heard that. that, 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 that they, she found tunnels as well. Yes. 
she went with an archaeologist um, or an Egyptologist. And um, I'll actually le- read a little bit from this article right here. It's from the Egyptianstreets.com. And I'll, le- I'll read a little bit of the insert right here so you guys can better understand. Her story, unsurprisingly, where met with wide, this, um, with wide negativity and skepticism. Omuseti would soon plant the ultimate doubt inside her detractors when she led Egypt, Egyptian archaeologists to Central Garden within the Temple of Seti. It was the place she had dreamt of for decades. Now, she was, uh, would have dreams and tell her parents, I'm having these dreams, I'm having these dreams. There's also a very paranormal-esque side to the story where her dad would come into the room and she would be praying in Egyptian to the Egyptian go- goddess and gods. And she, he actually claimed that at night that he saw somebody at the bedside that looked like a priest or a priestess standing at the bed. Now, there's this rumor that her her husband, before the marriage went to complete shit, that he came to the room and saw someone at her bed and she was praying or he was praying over her or something to that extent. Right. I don't quote me on it. I've read it. Um, this story is not something new to me. I, I actually first heard this story two years ago and wanted to do an episode. I've mentioned this story on other episodes in earlier seasons. I've never did a full episode about it, but. In the world of this podcast, I follow things that tend to trend and cover it, and we're called covering it in full. Now back to the story. The uh, Temple of Seti was a place that she dreamt for decades, and although it's been eroded and destroyed over time, Om Seti had pointed the exact plot of land. After meticulous evacuate, evac, uh, excavation, it was undeniable that there once was a garden with her exact recollection and three types of arrangements in the unexplored spot. She described images never disclosed to the public with startling accuracy in pitch black darkness and told other obscure yet accurate tales. Olmsteady was accurate in her description of water canals and the height of the columns that no longer stood, translating some of those to more arcane uh, hieroglyphics with relative ease. Slowly, the locals had begun to fear her for the lack of concrete psychological or spiritual explanation. In Mm. 1956, she became the first woman to work in the antiquities department at Abedos and took residence in the temple itself. She'd also lead archaeologists to a tunnel north of the temple, which have gone unnoticed for decades. According to Omseti, her advice was a product of her memories of have living there during the Egyptian times. She would live the rest of her days at the Temple of Abedos, talking and undis- um, talking of an undiscovered library that sits under it, brimming with unseen religious texts and historical documents. Although no ex- excavation has validated or dismissed her claims, Omseti would pass on the 21st of April in 1981. So, she did have pinpoint accurate description uh, this de- uh, depictions of the columns knowing the exact size they were right. found water uh, found the garden found tunnels and pitch blackness she was able to literally tell these archaeologists where everything was they found it and uncovered it and to this day no one knows exactly how that was even possible because you know this is something that happened at a young age, gained knowledge, and she was able to pinpoint, like the story with Dario a few weeks ago when we were talking about Unsolved Mysteries, where a ghost gave a woman like pinpoint uh, coordinates to a crime scene, and she was only off by a, by a map, by a degree. Same concept with finding this garden in Egypt, uh, at Abedos. It's crazy. Interesting. I'm looking here. It says that there was a documentary in 1981 about her. Now, in 1981... I mean, I don't know when she died, but it just seems like she'd probably be long gone by then. She did die in 81. It oh. says it here. She said she passed on um, the April 21st, 1981. And my whole thing is, like, a lot of people are going to say, oh, she wrote some books. But truthfully, like, what what is the monetary gain on that in the 1900s when you can't reach a significant amount of people to really make money to sustain a crazy lifestyle on this lie? It feels... Like, it's genuine only because of the time. Like, 
if this happened today, I'd, I'd question the motives. I mean, like, we got social media and we have, you know, video outlets and Netflix and this person contacted you for that documentary and whatnot. And it would, it would bring, you know, some skepticism to the, the to the validity of, of the individual. But since it happened so long ago, you know, there's, there's no internet, there's no, there's no nothing. Like you have to put on this lie for a very long time before you start seeing any kind of monetary gain from it. And it just seems like she was gung ho on who she said she was. Now, granted, there are um, psychological disorders where people can start to believe that they're someone if they tell themselves that they are that individual, right? Now, there's schizophrenia and um, there's all these different types of, uh, honestly, even un undocumented types of of mental illnesses that we still aren't are still trying to scratch the surface. But the fact that she knew so much about things and where they were, that's what intrigues me. Like, I would love to know who the individuals were that she was in contact with, just to do like a deep dive. Like, what is the credibility of the individuals that she was surrounded by who were bringing forth this information about her sensational story? I think the, um, in her defense, and, and, you know, I'm more of a skeptic than I am a believer in the beginning. But I have no explanation for her knowing. I mean, schizophrenia or 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 multiple pers- uh, personality disorder. Right. Um, you know, you you change your 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 attitude. You change the demeanor of who you are originally. You know, if you're this happy-go-lucky kid, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in, in this particular year, you're this miserable, um, aggressive kid. All of a sudden, and you're diagnosed with you know, split personality disorder or whatever the case may be, you know, there's a psychological aspect to it. I don't know how science can prove her knowing things that she shouldn't have known. Right. Now she was a young age around the age of three or five between those ages when she fell down the stairs. But, and, well, I, I would say the skeptic would say, did somebody know it, tell her and say, Hey, we're going to make a boatload of money. You just have to play along a little, for a little further. You know, you think you're this person and they, they really built a foundation on the person who she thought she was. And they said, well, there's money to be made here. She says she's this individual. Let's her let's make her out to be this individual. That's what the skeptic in me it, it thinks. Right. You know? No. Yeah. I and you and you know what? That's what probably people think that are skeptical to this story. However, at the age of three or five years old, whatever her age was when this accident happened, actually, actually took place. It's very hard. Because we both have daughters. Your daughter is younger than mine. But if I told my daughter, you got to play her along with something until you are in your 50s. Right. So my thing is, like, maybe they didn't say that to her when she was young. But maybe somebody approached her as she's older, still in this mental status of believing that she's Omseti and saying, well, I'm going to capitalize on the fact that this woman says that she's Omseti and and give her coordinates of where things are that we know that they're discovered and will sensationalize the story. It'll be, it'll be the biggest story of the century about reincarnation, the afterlife and, you know, our, our purpose in the universe, so to speak. I mean, I could get behind that. I wouldn't say that's a bad theory at all. Uh, I just think during the time period, given her age and the knowledge she had going to Egypt and being off the grid, like you said, there was no social media. There was just newspapers agreed, and things agreed. like that. There was I, obviously London newspapers or newspapers that were in her in where she where she lived. Probably had these a uh, couple of stories, and you know it was what it was. But to be honest with you, I I don't really think that she that her that herself gained. I mean, she wrote a book. The book probably gave her some money in her pocket. Uh, her husband that married her, they the marriage went you know, the way of the wayside, the, um, you know, her, her mom and dad, you know, passed away knowing their daughter was infatuated with Egypt after, after probably traumatic for them. I don't really see how at that time period, her family or her husband or herself gained anything from something that would have been that well orchestrated. Right. I don't know how she was able to, archaeologists were there trying to it find It just her. seems like they're, they're, there was probably a great deal of interest in Egypt at the time, and it was trending amongst you know newspaper goers. Oh yeah, the at, the, at uh, the most at the most it's going to sell newspapers if they sensationalize some kind of tabloid story. But for her to really like 
keep going on about this and if indeed that that you can corroborate that there are multiple people saying that she found these uh you know or that can testify that she knew here here's where i think it's interesting the locals were afraid of her the locals knew that she knew things so if if the locals were witnesses to her just saying things and them going and finding these you know undiscovered archaeological sites that's interesting because then that that gives her some real credibility because these are outsiders these are not like people in the field of antiquity who are obviously needing to make money to support their archaeological digs and whatnot etc so a third party is always of interest and the fact that locals thought that she was you know something of a god is is interesting yeah well egyptians have you know in that area and and in egypt as a whole there's different beliefs and different uh i'm trying to look for the word but there's different beliefs and different fears and for if she came from you know london to to egypt um flew across to you know down to egypt right thousands of years have passed by there's so many different religions that have come and gone throughout you know and egyptians don't really believe in after uh, a reincarnation they believe in afterlife that's the whole process and right why they did what they did with the mummies they believe that you know the body was going to be reused or some something to that extent that's why they you know they brought the body they, they tried to save the the body for the afterlife and you know all that for them to see her come there and know things and say that she was this priestess because that's what she claimed she claimed that she was a priestess um, oh, I believe, you know, Om Seti is the reason she changed her name. They would probably sit, be in fear, like, oh, there's an Egyptian priestess here in the form of her, Dorothy Edie, and that's why they feared her. So for, for people to have fear of her, you know, they didn't, they didn't say that she was faking it. They just had a genuine fear. And if fear usually comes because something is legitimately happen, happening, you know, if you have a a tiger in front of you trying to rip you apart. You're in fear. You're, you know what I'm saying? You're not a skeptic of it, of it happening. You're genuinely in fear because you know, it's actually happening. So the Egyptian people were in fear of her because they actually thought that she was telling the truth. You know, she had for her to know what she knew at a young age growing up and going into that museum with her parents and seeing things and saying, I'm home and knowing things without even reading them in the museum. That's interesting. You know, that's a that's the, a, the hieroglyphics of her going home and writing them after she had that experience. That kind of makes sense because sometimes kids go home and they they draw certain things that they see when they go home. You know, and if she has a really good memory, she could probably like copy some of the you know things that she saw when she was at the um, mu- museum and whatnot. But like the fact that she was saying who she was and things that she knew to her parents at a very early age, that's that's pretty startling. Yeah, she she's drawing hieroglyphics at, you know, the age of eight to ten, and then in the teenage years, kicking it up a notch, starting to study more, waking up at night, uh, her father seeing, you know, paranormal occurrences of witnessing at something at her bedside. Um, you know, I, there's a story, a story in here that that basically claimed. Um, Edie's dream. I'm going to tell you about her dreams. Um, Again, this is from the Egyptian streets. One of the better articles I found on this whole thing. Edie's dreams had begun to make sense as it was once dismissed as her ramblings of a child were only further solidified when Edie's obsession with Egypt would continue through her teenhood and well into her married years. She would cite a spiritual connection to ancient Egypt. She would um, intimately and unshakably admit that she was a priestess. Over the years, she would dedicate her youth and early adulthood to study Egyptology and reincarnation, according to the fourth edition journal of Egyptian archaeology. Mm-hmm. Although she was interested in the latter, uh, well, it says latter, L-T-T-E-R, Edie never found herself subscribing to the logic and present reincarnation narratives. She could not describe the process, but only that her dreams had, be, had been of Egypt, as it had been. I only had one aim in life, Edie is noted saying, and that was to go to Abedos, to live in Abedos, and to be buried in Abedos. Cairo welcomed Edie in 1933 when she married an Egyptian man 
called Abdel Magid and uh, Abdel Magid and moved to Egypt. After giving birth to their first child, Edi insisted on naming them after Egypt's 19th dynasty ruler, Seti. As per her Egyptian custom, Edi renounced her birth name and began going by the name of Om Seti, mother of Seti. Uh. Um, Edi and Abdel's marriage was a strained one, deteriorating rapidly as Edie became more and more infatuated with her studies. Unresponsive and trance-like, she would rise in the dead of night to write pages upon pages of hieroglyphics, sharp lines and quick thoughts scribbled down near an unlegible to all else but Om Seti. Abdel, Abdel, check this out. Abdel Miguel's, uh, Abdel Megid's father would recall an Ados, 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 Oh my God, this is crazy pronounced. Anosadot, where he witnessed a pharaoh kneel at the foot of Edie's bed. And soon after, Abdel Magid himself would put an end to the marriage entirely. So the father of his of her husband recalled witnessing a pharaoh kneel at the foot of her bed. Mm. And 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 that scared not only the father of her husband her husband and ended up just ending it. Um, This allowed, once she got the divorce, this allowed Edie to dedicate body and mind to her research, a 70 page manuscript she had written subconsciously. She would later refer to this as her spirit guide, hurrah or hurrah, as it delineated most of her past life memories and experiences. According to the hurrah, Om Seti had been an ancient Egyptian priestess named. Okay, so there is her name wasn't be, uh, the priestess that she thought she was isn't Om Seti. Um, that's the, the area of the garden that she ended up finding. Right. Um, her her name that she said that she was in her past life. Um, I'm gonna have Siri pronounce it because I am not gonna get that. Ready for it? Go for it. Ventrushit. Ventrushit. I'm going to try to raise the volume here. Okay. One more time. Give it to me, Siri. Ventrushit. Yeah, I would never pronounce that. Sounds <laughs> like she's cursing, actually. It sounds, like she's, it sounds like she's saying shit. <laughs> so she lived in the Temple of Abedos during the reign of Pharaoh Seti I, and at the age of only 14 became his elect paramour, which basically is, uh, you know, you know what I mean? Right. Om Seti recalled having taken an oath of chastity and loyalism that was disrupted when the king took a liking to her after falling pregnant. Her need to protect Seti's honor saw her taking her own life before birthing the child. Om Seti would describe visits of how Pharaoh would come to her in her sleep, promising her an afterlife with him in Amnetet, the ancient Egyptian afterlife. So she had dreams of this guy that when she was in her past life, took a love interest to her and ended up, you know, doing sexual stuff with her. And she was pregnant and had to take her own life to save his, uh, you know, I guess his reputation and hers, because I guess that was frowned upon for uh, a person of his stature at that time to do something with a subpar woman in the uh, times of Egypt. Right. So, her story is crazy, dude. It's um, it's just a lot of detail. That's very, funny. very, very detailed stuff. But when I first heard this, it was um a vi- a video on YouTube years ago, and I I, I watched it three times. To- I like watched it about three or two times. It was it was like about three three years ago. I've mentioned this story on an episode I did about reincarnation, and um, she has undoubtedly a a story that it's very hard to debunk. There's people witnessing paranormal aspects, seeing a priest, this a priest or pharaoh kneeling at her bedside, knowing things that she shouldn't know, um, taking the taking the step to move to like to Egypt. Now there are people, like you said, that are sick in the head. There's like this guy, uh, I believe he's like a Japanese guy, Chinese guy, that literally tried to transform himself into a kendal. You see, right. that? I, saw, I saw that. That's yeah. That's, he looked so so placid, so so unreal. Yeah, and he ended up looking, like, terrible. Like, there's a, a, a thing people try to, you know, be something that they're not and take it to levels that are pretty crazy. But on her end, she took it to levels 
and, you know, changed her name, claimed her story and knew things that she shouldn't have known. You know, I, that's that's like like me coming up to you one day and saying, um, yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm Babe Ruth. And then knowing like things that no one knew about Babe Ruth that maybe very few knew, like historians in, right. in, in sports, like um, like he attempted to bat righty and be a switch hitter. Um, or something, you know, I'm, I'm making things up and then you go and you do your, your, your research and find people that are Yankeeologists and, and someone tells you that, yeah, you know, Babe Ruth did dabble in in switch hitting and stuff like that. Right. Something that only certain people would know and you would have no prior knowledge to. Exactly. So, you know, for things like that to happen with her and then actually go to the land of Egypt and find things that archaeologists were there. Remember, the, the boom in Egyptology, I believe, was like, don't quote me on this. Maybe you could do a, a quick search. But I, I believe like, that there was like a big boom in like from the 20s to 60s. They were finding things or something to that extent. Yeah, when and, really started to take place. Right. That's, that's when they actually, the Industrial Revolution, that's when they actually had the technology to even do uh, the type of excavation needed because they couldn't even dig these things out of the sand. They couldn't even move the doors on some of the, um, you know, pyramids and some of the entrances. So I, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of questions there. Like if they couldn't do it, like how was it done? You know? Right. Well, that goes back to that, uh, that definite favorite subject. I just, it, it's, it's just so intriguing, you know? Yeah. Egypt as a whole, has a just an enigma is an enigma because I feel that out of every place in the world and we're gonna get because we have a lot more episodes to go um, before the end of season four but um, Egypt as a whole is one of the most mysterious places and has the like for better use of words the the, the most enigmatic history you know people you go on Google, Contrary to what Mike DeLuna says, the angry history geek, and you go on Google and say, do scientists concretely have evidence or know how the pyramids were built? And they'll have it, it flat out says, if you want to believe Google, because I tend to, in the last few years not to, given certain circumstances, but it says that they have theories on how they used a rampant pulley system, but it's it's a theory. So they admit to it that it's just a theory. It's not concrete. It's not exactly how they did it. It's a theory. So you have the building of the pyramids and all that as a whole, that that itself is a mystery. Then you have the uh, uh, astrology aspect and how everything is perfectly aligned with stars. And in that time period, how do they do it? We have computers. We have scientists. We have astronomers. They, they know how things end up. They know how the earth rotates and spins and all that. Back then, it was very hard for them to even fathom or for us to fathom how they did it. Right. Then you got the underground tunnels, things like the Seraphim of Saqqara, the 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 far, the um the Sphinx itself. The, the Sphinx it's a mystery. The the time of exactly when it was built is, is being debated by now by by the likes of Graham Hancock, um and even Billy Carson. They right. um the hieroglyphics. There's things in the hieroglyphics that to this day can't be really figured out what what was written there, why they mummified certain things how exactly they mummified certain, certain things like, you know, some, uh, you have the curses that are supposed that that's kind of been debunked, but in general, Egypt has a vastness of unknown and ignatic, ignatic, uh, I'm just losing the enigmatic. I gotcha. Yes. Yes. There you go. It's, it's has this, this mystery to it. And now you have this story, not, not that we now have it, but we have this story of Dorothy Edie. And it just it just adds to the whole Egyptian, you know, mystery and history and having this reincarnation story and her doing what she did just adds to everything with the Egyptology and Egypt as a whole. It's just, you know, dumbfounded. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm looking here and it seems like um, the boom in Egyptology was around in the 1920s, but um the first expeditions were the first documented, highly documented expeditions were in the 1800s, like the late 1800s. Right. I believe that picture of the Sphinx buried in the sand was late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah. 
That's and all. they had to do some serious digging. Um, it mesmerized people. It mesmerized me as a kid, you know, myself. It wasn't, it wasn't about... until really like modern day that they were really able to unearth the entirety of the Sphinx, you know? Yeah, it, 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 I, I remember as a kid looking at the history books and, you know, you get your textbook at the beginning of the year and you open up the, the very first page and you can see who, who had the book before you. And then you go and you just go through the pages and, um, you know, you, you, you look at stuff before the lesson's actually taught and you're like, wow, this is, you know, from the whole mummy thing. And everything about it is very intriguing from how they dressed and how they lived. Um, like I said, you almost felt like there was something that they weren't telling us when you learned about it in school. You're like, hmm, this kind of, well, they definitely are not telling us things about Egypt and, you know, it's, we've discussed it many times before, but you know, there's many, many things like that story of the finding a tunnel in one of the great pyramids, um, if not the great pyramid, because there's three of them there or whatever the case may be. And in the main one, show us the whole tunnel. Just show it. Yeah, they haven't. They, the story came out. I did a reel about it. I posted it on SWAB underscore podcast on Instagram and on TikTok. And um, and then just like that. And I ended the reel by saying it could change history if they if they let us hear it. And to this day. Yes, the story has the story has died, and they the have story has completely died, and that is it. Schematics on what the chamber looks like. Yeah, they sent a, a drone in, and they were like, "Oh no, it just looks like it's a, you know, like an air duct or whatever they said," and, and then they just yeah. dropped the whole story. There's more to it, like um, you know, like that that the guy on TikTok that has the Kano voice, one foul something on TikTok. Right. Um, you know, he talks like this and he's like, you how you I got you now, my diggity. He, he gets everybody with that voice. Yeah, right? yeah, oh that's how I why I follow him just to see the Kono voice, you know. But he says that at the very bottom. <laughs> You've seen it in the movie Dust to Dawn. They tried to tell you. Oh my days. I know and he, he sensationalizes the shit out of those. Yeah, real, he does. Some of that I fucking say. love it. I look at the picture, I'm like, give me a fucking break. But damn you're good, man. You know how to get those likes. And I'm like, Yeah, he sells it. That's you know I wish I wish I could fucking make myself look that like <laughs> foolish for some likes. But I'm like, oh I gotta be I gotta be the historian. I gotta I gotta bring people back to reality just a little bit. You know, I, I can't go you, that far. I told you before I, I watched I, I came across him based on the algorithms of things I follow and his first two videos I seen, I was like, holy shit, this guy's onto something. You know what I mean? Like I forgot what exactly, I think it might've been giants. He's like, and it's Andrew Dawson and he's so giant. And now he's gone. His TikTok <laughs> has went silent. And if you look on the top of that mountain and you go back and you try to find it again, that is not there. And and he he sold me on that video, and then I ended up doing an episode not too long after after I did my own. I mean, research. everybody's talking about it, so why not? You know. Yeah, and then you know what though, like a lot of his videos, like that dust to dawn thing, like I, I it you know, first of all they were in Mexico, so that wouldn't be really the Egyptian. So he kind of used the wrong you know the the wrong culture there. Right. Like the dust to dawn took place in Mexico. They were in the Mexico, you know, that they were escaping the police. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know. His video is a little far fetched. He brings some valid points in certain things, but there's definitely things like, like I said, they, the pyramids. They go deeper. Um, who knows how far down they go? Um, you got people like Billy Carson saying they were a conductor of electricity. That the Ark of the Covenant was actually in um, there. That actually kind of makes sense. And there's there's a good amount of evidence that suggests that, considering the schematics of the Ark of the, of the Covenant, the dimensions, and then the dimensions of the box that resides in the Great Pyramid. He also said there was more than one, which if you're like a person that follows the Bible, there was only one Ark of the Covenant. I don't doubt that there was more than one book. <coughs> you know what I do think? I think that those boxes in the Seraphim of Sakaar housed those devices. Because if they were as powerful as they suggested in terms of like, radiation sickness or whatever the technology was that people you know seem to have passed away when getting too close to the ark of the covenant it seems like those boxes would be ideal for housing some kind of technological device like that they can't yeah, be but i don't know maybe you could do a quick google search as i say this but does granite um confine nuclear oh absolutely d- d- i mean radiation granite can absorb radiation there's no doubt about it yeah because that would be that would be the uh 
you know, um, a one up on your on your theory on that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, that's not even my theory. Somebody else, but it, it does make sense. You know it, I mean? Yeah, I, I listen. I get it wholeheartedly. You know, some of this stuff does make sense. But at the end of the day, like I said, you know, we talked about trying to debate things, and people just don't want to debate. And at the end of the day, I like to be open up to new possibilities. I do have a theory that you might be interested in about reincarnation. So. I had this thought when I was hearing about this story and it just kind of connected the dots for me for something that I've heard in the past about DNA. Now we have um, X amount of junk DNA in our body and science doesn't actually even know what that junk DNA is. There's the code for like the colors of our hair or our eyes, our skin tone, our facial features, et cetera. All that's embedded in our DNA. And then there's a certain percentage of DNA. I don't even know the percentage, but I, I've, you know, you could look this up. This is not fictional. Um, there's a percentage of junk DNA that we have. Okay. And what if this junk DNA is a composition of memories from previous generations? So is it possible that she's not just reincarnated, but she's just reliving some memories of an ancient relative? You so you're saying, saying that DNA like can possibly you're saying that DNA can possibly transfer memories. I up to the up to the conception of the individual. So for instance, as soon as I was conceived, the memories of my mother that she has, that she has passed on to me, that she lived in her life, cease right there. I can't remember anything further past that. Um the same thing for you know my father and, and other individuals in down the down the lineage that's just one thought that i had it was, it was just a wild random midnight thought i was like what if this junk dna actually has a purpose well that actually can be backed up with you know people say that you you know you hear this a lot right uh you meet um an uncle you maybe haven't met yet you go to a family party and your uncle's talking to you and you do something and it's, and he goes to you and he says, you know, you have traits like your father. That's something that he would do. Now, whether that's inherited by growing up with your parents or not, that, 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 that adds to the validity of the point you just made. Or there's people that never had a father, you know what I mean? Like, or, or a mother, they grew up, you know, uh, with one parent and they end up meeting their deceased parents' relative, whether it's a sister um, or a friend. And then they say it like, oh, you know, your mother would do that. And it's kind of ironic that you do that. Right. You know, things like that. There's these also crazy stories um, where people like these these children are they have these dreams. And they say, you know, I I feel like my name is really, you know, the kid's name is, is Billy. And he goes, I feel like my name is really James. And, uh, you know, there's a story that I was I watched a, a show. And I try to paraphrase it. I, I, I actually said it with Dario on that episode where this kid, he claimed to have been a World War II fighter pilot that was in the Pacific fighting with the Japanese and all that stuff. And he said that his plane, you know, he was a, a pilot and the whole nine, he had the name and everything. And he got shot down somewhere along the lines near Pearl Harbor battling, you know, a battle over there or something to that extent. Again, I'm paraphrasing. Right. And um, he was fine. He was, he knew things that he shouldn't have known. Didn't read history books. Didn't do certain, you know, didn't all this stuff. And he actually ended up sparking his father's curiosity to an extent where his father didn't want to say that his son was crazy. So he wanted to actually start looking things up. And some of the things that his son was saying he started researching and finding names accurate to what his son was, was, was saying. Now, as far to my knowledge, the son didn't have access to the internet at that age to start doing in-depth research of world war two, you know, pilots and things like that. It's also very hard to find information if it's not centralized on particular pilots and things like that. You know what I mean? Mm. So, and also I don't know what kid would just start randomly. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, start researching in-depth names of battles that people didn't even know about. Like this particular battle 
this 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 dog fight was not really a famous dog fight. It happened, but it wasn't really centralized in in the history of World War Two, where they made a movie or something to that extent. Mm-hmm. So the father ended up finding things and going to the extent of taking his the kid to Hawaii, where the kid got emotional on this boat ride and says, "I crashed here. This is where my plane went down. This is where I died." Mm. You know, I, I've and, seen this story. It's it's another one that's pretty confounding. Some some of them are actually, you know, th- when especially when the parents are like involved and there's no monetary gain being had, it's like what a, what do they really get out of this? You know. Well, the parent the parent of this particular child ended up getting um, a television episode on on one of these shows like Unsolved Mysteries and whatever the case. I try to remember where I watched any kind of real financial. It might have been a Netflix show actually that I watched, and um, they, it had. Um, it was. It had a whole bunch of things like ghosts and near-death experiences, reincarnation, death stories, things like that. Right. Might have been one of those stories, and I watched it. However, they got an episode out of it, but you know, not nothing much. Life, nothing life-changing that they would. You no, know, I'm actually going to try to Google it real quick. Um, let's see if I could pull it up. Kid relives past life as World War Two pilot let's see if it comes up um it was oh look lotus is on uh abc news uh soul survivor i'll read the article real quick abcnews.go.com the following description of soul survivor was provided to abc news by the publisher of hatchet book group soul survivor the reincarnation of a world war ii fighter pilot is the story of james linger who was a little more than two weeks after his second birthday Okay, so the kid was two years old. Wow. He began having blood-curling nightmares that just would not stop. When James began screaming out reoccurring phrases like, Plane on fire! Little man can't get out! The Langer's fan finally admitted that they truly had to take notice. When details of the plane and war tragedies no two-year-old boy could have known continued, even stark daylight, Bruce and Andrea Linger began to realize that this was much more than an incre- much more of an incredible situation. Soul Survivor is the story of how the Langers pieced uh, piece together what their son was communicating and eventually discovered that he was reliving the past life of World War II pilot James Houston. As Bruce Langer struggled to understand what was happening to his son, he also uncovered details of James Houston's life and death as a pilot that will fascinate military buffs everywhere. In Soul Survivor, we were taken for a uh, gripping ride as the Linger's belief system is shaken to the core. Both of these families come to know the little boy who, against all odds, and even the face of true skeptics, harbors the soul of this man who died long ago. And then it gives you the the link to the incredible story. So that was a nutshell of what I was just basically saying. And there's a whole video uh, episode somewhere out there. But this little boy at two years old was having dreams of a fighter pilot during World War Two and had the name down to the T because during the episode, the kid was saying, my name is James. And he was drawing pictures to his dad of like planes blowing up, things to that extent. And just really fascinating stuff how, you know, it happens at a young age. Now, there's more stories like this and they, they follow the person. Um, there's another story of a, of a, of a boy um, that ended up meeting his his mother from the past life. The mother was still alive, the boy that unfortunately passed away from something. And this new boy, this boy now was saying that I'm this kid who passed away and meeting with the with the mother. And there was a lot of things that they got wrong, but some things that he got right. Like, hey, I remember you doing this as a, as you know when I was little and and it seems to happen that when they get older the reincarnation the memories of a past life tend to fade away but right. that did not happen with Dorothy Edie no she, she just got stronger she just knew who she was yeah, yeah she took that literally to the bank as the saying goes and 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 died thinking you know died with the name Om Seti and helping Egyptologists you know discover things which is pretty insane stuff right you know so 
Reincarnation, Joe. What do you think about reincarnation? You, do you I, think? I, I, I know. I, you know me. I'm, I'm Catholic, so I, I tend not to really believe in it. However, yeah. these, these stories are a little intriguing, so I wanted to get your uh, your input on what do you I, think? I do, and to a degree, I'm religious, um, and I know that the Bible was written by man, so it's you know up for interpretation. And it, there's nothing that says in stone that we can't believe in reincarnation, but you know, many cultures do. Traditionally, we believe that, you know, you pass away, and you know, you either enter heaven or hell, etc. Um, but however, I do, I do believe that it is a possibility um, with all these new theories coming out of, of one consciousness. Um, that one's kind of intriguing. That wasn't like my own actual thought. Um, some people believe that reincarnation is time isn't linear. And you can access memories from within the universe of other individuals so convincingly that you believe that you were that person. Uh, when in fact, I mean, you technically are because we're all this one giant consciousness living throughout essentially eternity, experiencing life through different vessels. So we have access to all this information, right? Only if we can hack it within our brain, so to speak. And her story of hitting her head, to me, makes sense. It kind of falls in line with that theory of, you know, are we cosmically intertwined with one another on a, a level that we can't even imagine throughout time and space? The only thing that I can get closest to what you said, which, which is better than what I'm about to say, is that energy goes somewhere. And if we're dead wrong on, you know, life after life and, and after life and heaven and hell and whatever have you, energy's got to go somewhere. And if energy finds its way to a brand new source of life, you know, it's a possibility that energy can go into somebody and give off everything that it was previously in. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and that's a very big possibility. And, and that's, you know, my theory. It's it still ties into kind of making sense about what I just said. Like if if energy goes in and it comes out and it's 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 transcendent, let's just say, right? It it still makes sense in in the framework of this woman hit her head and she accessed some framework within the universe, some energy within the universe of someone else's life and was so convinced that it was her own. Yeah. Uh that that that's a pretty that's a that's a it's a flip side theory, you know what flip I mean? Flip side, deep to, to and hard not, to comprehend. Not reincarnation to a degree, but in a sense, like we all have access to like for instance, like she, I can hit my head and access Joe DiMaggio or Mickey Mantle or all these different types of individuals if I if I knew how to navigate the cosmos and space and time. Yeah. And I kind of like remote almost like remote viewing, you know what I mean? Pretty, pretty close. And then the scary thing to say about that is that, you know, one thing is guaranteed not to get morbid here is, is death. And, and, you know, one day we're all going to find out. And that's uh, something in, in the time being, we enjoy our lives and we talk about this stuff and bring these stories to light and uh, give people things to intrigue them and, and go to bed at night thinking about the possibilities of. And the next and the next great adventure, in my opinion. Death. Exactly, exactly that. Some kind of adventure. Exactly that. Now, Joey, I know you're under the weather, and we've got this episode out to uh to almost the over an hour mark now, and uh, we we covered it, man. We covered Dorothy Edie. We spoke about the reincarnation. We threw in another story. So um, I'm going to thank you for jumping on sick as a dog tonight after a long day. I appreciate. And it. I'm also going it's, to thank. It's my pleasure to come on. Of course, but like I said, you don't have to. Uh, you know, say thanks for having me back. You're my co-host. If you guys <laughs> haven't seen the website, swabpodcast.com. is the on there. Go check yeah, out the description. Yeah, the official website for the Say What Again Billy podcast. Go check that out. Find me on uh, Twitter or us on Twitter, uh, on Twitter rather, SWB podcast. On Instagram, SWAB underscore podcast, which is short for the Say What Again Billy podcast. And all this is made possible by Spotify for Podcasters. If you haven't heard about Spotify for Podcasters, it's the free app that allows you to get your podcasting idea out there free of charge. All you need is a phone, tablet, or computer, and you can get your podcast out there and be heard on platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcasting outlets. So if you have a podcasting idea, 
download Spotify for podcasters. Joey, get some rest, feel better, don't get anyone sick, all right, and get your Sounds booster. Good, Thank you. Okay. Yep, okay. we're on my way right now. <laughs> CVS. Very, very good. Everyone <laughs> wants to hear that, including the FBI is listening to this episode. <laughs> this has been another episode of the Say What Again Billy podcast.